Now, it's time to put it all on the table through mediation. Your host, Teresa E. Keeves, is a professional mediator, here to educate, inform, enlighten, and inspire everyone about the great benefits in the process of professional mediation to resolve conflicts, disagreements, and disputes relating to business or personal matters. Now, here's your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Good morning. Good morning. Good day to all of you all out there. Wow. This is Teresa E. Keeves, your host for Put It All on the Table Through Mediation. And I'm broadcasting to you on the GreatTalkZone.com with another beautiful sunny day that God has given us. I am so happy to be broadcasting to you today. I miss talking to you. As you know, I have been battling a virus of some sort. And I was really sick for a moment there as I was supposed to be broadcasting two weeks ago. But because I was taken to the emergency room again the night before, I was in no shape to broadcast. And my fabulous um, engineer, Dave Olson, shout out to Dave, had to do an encore for me. And um, and then, look, guys, you know that the difficult thing throughout this whole ordeal is that I'm, you know, you know, that I'm allergic to so many medications such as penicillin and and let's just say all the illins and the sulfur based and codeine and aspirin and the list just goes on. So it is a task for the doctors um, when I get sick, you know, like what it is that they can prescribe to me that won't react. And, you know, by the way, you know, it's rare, you know, that I that I'm even sick, you know, but I I had a reaction uh, to the medication that was prescribed um, from our family doctor. And, and as a result, that was another visit to the emergency room. Wow, that's over. But, you know, and then and then, guys, remember, I talked to you that I injured my foot. I tore my fascia and uh, I, I talked to you guys about that in a recent broadcast. Well, the pain was so excruciating then. But I will tell you that that also, too, is on the men. So, 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 so much better. So listen. I'm all excited to be talking to you all. Um, you know, we have a fabulous show today, but I want to know how are you all out there? You know, I pray that you all have been prosperous and growing and learning and safe as always. And, you know, I have a fabulous show for you today. The title of our discussion is Fair Housing, Disabled Individuals Rights and the Federal Housing Administration, FHA. My guests are Judy Dricky Prohow, J.D., and Reginald C. Campbell, mental health therapists. Now, we are going to discuss the responsibilities that the, you know, that are associated with the FHA and that this governmental organization is not there just for overseeing individuals to purchase homes. Its reach, you guys, is much more than that. For example, particularly when dealing with unfair treatment for those who are disabled and or landlord tenant issues and employment concerns as well. I am going to introduce my guest and bring them on shortly. And here comes the but. There are a few things I want to talk about with you all out there. Okay. Now, you know, I like to share things with you all, and I want to share with you an article that was written by a gentleman by the name of Bill Eddy for Mediate.com, titled Bullies at Work. Now, you all know that I talk about bullying at schools, 
and in the workplace. And I also stated in a recent broadcast that bullying was talked about for one moment in our society. And it was and it was for a brief moment as though the issues have been taken care of or let's just say at least, you know, they were under control. Well, that is a big not. In this article, this gentleman is talking about the workplace bullying. He states in part that um, workplace bullying has not gone anywhere. He said that it is a growing international problem and it is more than a one-time incident. It is pattern, it is a pattern of behavior between a bully and another worker which can demoralize, isolate and trigger illness in the target of the bully. And what can employers do? to promote a safe environment for their employees. Well, in many ways, he says, it is similar to the playground bully, which I have talked to you guys about that before, except that as adults, it should no longer be an issue. It is aggressive behavior that should be personally contained, but for some reason, it is not. Okay? And he says the sense of power powerlessness grows and the target begins to feel and begin to feel bad about themselves or, you know, as well as frightened, you know, a bullying. Bullying appears to go on in an environment that tolerates or rewards hostile behavior without intervening. All right. He also says they are unconsciously driven to fight and attack what he calls targets of blame because this helps them briefly feel less anxious and helpless their, themselves by feeling able to hurt others. Their targets can be anyone. It's not personal. It's about the bully, not about the target. Okay. So my thing is that it's terrible that, you know, what he's saying in this article, this is an, a great article that he has, has written. And but it's a shame that bullying continues in our society, be it from our children all the way up to adults. I mean, can we say the presidential election? Okay. And he says that um, he says research indicates that 16 to 21 percent of employees experience health endangering bullying. And that is four times greater than sexual harassment reports. All right. Now, he says that. It is also interesting that the growth of this problem in the workplace seems to be paralleled. The increase of personality disorders in our modern society. They can't seem to stop themselves and many organizations seems to tolerate them with the increase in future centeredness and decrease in empathy. We can expect to see more of this problem in the future. Wow. Well, my question is this. Why aren't there more procedures in place regarding bullying? During my tenure, you know, guys, as a worker and then promoted into the management in the corporate world, I witnessed this bullying among employees. And I also witnessed some outcomes regarding bullies that were not so good. And I have also witnessed great and beneficial employees leaving their positions because of it. I've talked to you guys about this before. And sadly, in most cases, the bully remained in place knowing that she or he was the problem. And why? I just want to know why. As the author of this article states that this behavior is going to increase. Well, I think Ray Charles can see that. This seems to steadily become the norm in the way human beings react to one another. And they feel that it is okay. 
if they say anything and do anything to one another, the disrespect, the lying, the deceit is off the chain. Ah, once again, can we say the presidential campaign here in the United States? It is a shame before the eyes of God that this campaign welcomes fighting and mudslinging like you've never seen it before to their rallies. I will say that the last four to eight years, the presidential campaign was still conducted with some respect for one another. Not today. Minds are totally dealing with the dark side and don't kid yourself. This is a scary situation how society is today. All right, let's move on. It is shout out time. All right. I'm giving a shout out to President Barack Obama, who in spite of the horrendous criticism and bullying that he continues to receive as president of this great nation, visited Vietnam and Japan. You know, you know, guys, he realizes that there is no win-win situation in war and that we need to communicate and be open and friendly, not being stagnant for what happened decades ago and or holding grudges. As he also realizes that, you know, correction needs to be done regarding our country as well. In addition to continue to be as, you know, you've always been, oh, this is how we're always going to be. There is absolutely no growth in being that way. Much love and respect to you, Mr. President, and your uh, administration. Well, school is out. Yay! And I want to give a shout out to Paris Daniel, my little grandson, who has consistently been on the honor roll throughout the year. So proud of him. He's going into fifth grade. And likewise, I want to give a shout out to his sister, Tiara Daniel, going into her junior year of high school. And well, remember, I told you all that both kids participate in Taekwondo. Well, she is a first damn black belt and her brother is buying for his black belt. Well, Tiara recently received two medals for being number one in a huge event recently held here in Phoenix. And she got a medal. One, one, one of them guys was for her poom saying, and one was for sparring. So proud of you, girl. All right. And you know what? I want to give a shout out to all the people in Oklahoma and Colorado whose weather pattern has affected them negatively. Oh, wow. I just pray that they all receive the help that they need quickly. Okay. All right. Let's get it on. Let's bring my guest on. I would like to introduce Judy Dricky Prohow. Okay. Judy Dricky Prohow has been an attorney with the law office of Scott M. Clark for seven years, first as counselor and then as a member of the firm. The law office of Scott M. Clark concentrates on the representation of property management companies throughout Arizona and in Nevada. As a member of the firm, Judy handles all aspects of landlord-tenant issues, as well as any fair housing and employment issues that affect the firm's clients. Judy is admitted to practice in the federal and state courts of Arizona, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and federal agencies, including the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development. Judy is a former senior litigation counsel and former assistant attorney general with the Civil Rights Division of the Attorney General's Office, where she worked from 1978 
until February 2006. She is also co-author of the Arizona Supreme Court's ADA Resource Manual, co-author of the Arizona Employment Law Handbook, author of Arizona Label Law Update, Handicap Discrimination Act, Arizona Bar Journal, August 1985, and multiple articles for the apartment magazine published by the Arizona Multi-Housing Association. She is a member and former chair of the State of Arizona Labor and Employment Law Committee. She is a founding member and past Pima County president of the Arizona Women's Lawyer Association and a member of the Pima County um, Bar Association. She is another one of my guests that I call a phenomenal woman. Welcome, Judy, to my show. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Yes, and, and I congratulate and congratulations uh, on the big victory. Yes, I know. That's I know. I, yes, absolutely. You should, you should be very proud. Mm-hmm, I am. <laughs> I am very proud. All right, guys. My next my next guest is my wonderful brother. Reginald C. Campbell. He is the world's best mental health therapist with over 25 years in the social work arena and, and also, uh, now combining his educational knowledge of mental health therapy to those who are in need of his help. He is a regular guest on my show and I, and I'm always happy to have him talking with me and all of you out there. Good morning, Reginald. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing great. Great to be here. Absolutely. And I'm so happy that I have the both of you together so that we can we can talk about fair housing, disabled individual rights and the Federal Housing Administration. OK, let's get started now. Now, Judy, I understand that the most common issues that you deal with are regarding reasonable accommodations modifications for persons with disabilities for our listeners could you could you elaborate on what reasonable accommodations and modifications are and does the fha impose obligations on a landlord to provide different treatment for persons with disabilities absolutely yes what the um the fair housing act was amended in 1988 and as part of the amendment, Congress decided that there we needed to provide protection for people with disabilities. And uh, the, the, among other things, it required landlords to provide reasonable accommodations and re- to permit reasonable modifications. Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the way the law is written, you, you have to really look at a lot of the definitions. But mm-hmm. first of all, it defines the, the people who are protected are people who have a, what the law calls a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more of the person's major life activities. Mm-hmm. Then once you, once you determine that a person has a disability or is a person with a disability as the law, as the law refers to it, then the, uh, then if, if they need modifications or accommodations in mm-hmm. order to have an equal opportunity to use and enjoy their dwelling, then the landlord is required to work with them. So uh, unfortunately, the way the law is written, it's pretty definition oriented. But mm-hmm. what, what, the, what, what it says is 
that if a person needs a reasonable accommodation, then in many circumstances, most circumstances, in fact, the law, the landlord is required to provide it. And reasonable accommodations are changes in rules, policies, practices, or services. So, for example, mm-hmm. if a landlord has a policy that says no pets and the person with a disability needs an assistive animal because of their disability, then the landlord has to make that exception. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the other part of it is reasonable modifications. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Modifications are considered to be structural changes at the property. So, for example, if someone wants grab bars or they want to raise toilet seat or a roll-in shower or maybe a ramp leading from their, um, the, their home to their patio or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, those, those, because they're structural changes, what the law says is that if the resident requests it and the, and the person needs it because of their disability, then the landlord has to give permission to have the, the changes made. But those changes are made at the expense of the resident. Okay. Okay. You know, cause doing my, um, you know, research to heighten my, um, knowledge and awareness about this subject, I did read that, that the modifications are something that the, um, uh, individual requesting them would have to, would have to pay. And, and I see, and it, you know, my show is all about education. And so it's not only my listeners being educated on, on, you know, these things that we talk about, but, you know, I too am being educated on, on, on a lot of these. You know, I know that I know about, you know, FHA and, and what they do and, and particularly would be, you know, dealing with disabled individuals. But I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm pleased to have the both of you on here. As, as I said, I'm sure my listeners appreciate it as well because there may be someone out there that's disabled or, or, uh, they themselves may be disabled and they are not, you know, privy to all of the information that we're going to be talking about here. Thank you for that, Judy. Now, Reginald. I'm going to ask um, you this question. Um, have you ever had to get involved with one of your clients that was disabled and or needed some special accommodations or modifications for their living arrangements? And, you know, can you, um, you know, briefly talk about um, how hard it was, you know, if it was hard for dealing with the landlord or management company? Yeah, uh, well, first, let me say good morning to everyone and good morning to your guests. It's a uh, uh, Pleasure to to meet her on the radio. And yeah. as you said, I definitely learned something um, within the past uh, ten minutes myself, and, and that's wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was um, not aware that uh, the individual would have to pay for these accommodations if, if, if they wanted them. So, uh, so that's a learning curve for me. Um, usually. Um, well, when I was in Chicago, when I worked with individuals, um, some individuals who were physically and or uh, cognitively um, uh, impaired, um, the facility where they resided, um, the accommodations had already been provided by the landlord. And so uh, the, the individual, all they had to do was, you know, make arrangements with the landlord, uh, Social Security, things like that, and, and move in. So all the accommodations were, were done, and that was something that they didn't have to worry about. So, uh, so I never had any experience in having to deal with the landlord, uh, 
it was messy, uh, you know, accommodation that individual may be. Could, could I jump in for just a second? Um, uh, yeah, but you, yeah, but you know what? Can you hold that thought? I need to take a break. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, hold that, right. hold that thought, Judy. Okay, listen, get up and stretch, get your coffee and tea and come back with me. Hi, listeners. This is Teresa E. Keeves, and I want to talk to you about bullying. Do you know that bullying is still a constant negative in our society, not only for children in grammar schools and high schools, but also in our colleges, university, and workplaces? I want you to know that professional mediation is a great method for resolving issues regarding bullying. It also allows party members to engage in a much-needed conversation to clarify what the issues are and to resolve them without the involvement of law enforcement and in relation to our children, the possibility of school suspension. Need more information? Please give me a call at 623-594-5657 or visit my website at www.tekmediations.com. Now it's time to put it all on the table through mediation. Here's your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Thank you for returning with me. I am here with my guest, Judy Dricky Prohow and Reginald Cedric Campbell, and we are talking about fair housing, disabled individual rights, and the Federal Housing Administration. And right before break, Judy wanted to uh, comment on the, the question uh, that I had um, asked of Reginald. So go ahead, Judy. Oh, thank you. I just wanted to clarify that uh, when we're talking about the landlord's responsibility to pay, that refers only to, a co- to modifications not to accommodation. If the, mm-hmm. if the person needs a change in a rule, policy, practice, or service, and that requires some cost and it's reasonable to provide it, then the landlord has to pay for that accommodation. It's, it's only the structural changes that the tenant is responsible for paying for. Oh, okay. And you know, that could, that could get into some, Big money for individuals that are disabled, um, uh, don't you think, uh, Reginald? It, it, you know, if 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 an individual needs to, uh, you know, come out of their pocket, um, a lot of individuals who um, are disabled are gainfully employed. Now, let's get that straight. There's a lot of disabled individuals who are gainfully employed, doing well, um, able to do whatever it is that they want to do financially. But then there are those who aren't. Um, that fortunate, you know what I'm saying, Reginald? Right. For, so for those who are, you know, say on the uh, on a fixed income, um, you know, things like that. And if uh, just as Judy was saying, I was thinking if someone um, needed uh, uh, to say a ramp uh, for, uh, you know, their wheelchair accommodation to their apartment or something like that, um, yeah, mm-hmm. that can get. I'm sure that can get pretty expensive. Um, and as I said, I've been uh, I was fortunate. Uh, when I was in Chicago uh, to work with landowners who um, had already provided um, uh, all of the things that that the uh, individual needed uh, as far as structurally, which made it easier for me, easier for the agency, and and easy for the individual when they had to, uh, you know, just move into the residence. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much, Reginald. Now, Judy, now I know that we're talking about, you know, accommodations, 
and modifications. But I, I would like for you to expand on that a little bit more. Exactly what is the difference between, I want our listeners to know this, exactly what is an accommodation. You've already explained that, but, and, and a modification. So could you go over that again, please? I'd, I'd, I'd appreciate that. No, of course. An accommodation, uh, as the Fair Housing Act defines it, is a change in a rule, policy, practice, or service. So the example that I used is that if a person with a disability needs to have an assistive animal, um, maybe they have a seeing eye dog, or maybe they need uh, an emotional support animal or something like that, and mm-hmm. the property has a policy that says no pets or only uh, or, or that they, you could have an animal, but you have to pay a pet deposit and a pet fee and pet rent and things like that. Well, if the mm-hmm. person really needs it because they have a disability uh, and they need the animal, then the property is required to change that policy and give uh, uh, different treatment, special treatment to the person mm-hmm. with a disability so that they would mm-hmm. waive the pet rent, the pet deposit, the pet fees. They might have to waive the breed restrictions or the um, height and weight requirements of the animal, something like that. That would be a reasonable accommodation. Accommodation. Another, okay. Right. An, another reasonable accommodation, a very common one, would be if someone has a mobility or breathing impairment and they can't, uh, they can't walk very far and the property mm-hmm. has available parking spaces, uh, that are, you know, that are not assigned to anyone that are near that person's apartment. It might be a reasonable accommodation for the property to give the person an, a reserved space right near their apartment so that they can, you know, they, they can have easy access to get in and out of their apartment and they're not going to be um, you, you know, they're, they're not going to be limited because they can't walk very far. Those, mm-hmm. those kinds of things are what's called reasonable. Reasonable. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, it, it can go into, into details of personal situations as to whether mm-hmm. things are reasonable. But in most cases, those kinds of things are going to be reasonable. Uh, because they're, they, they give the person with a disability a better opportunity, the same opportunity as other people to be able to use and enjoy their, their, their dwelling. Their now, dwelling. Okay. Come, right. Now, when you look okay. modifi- modifications, that's different because, as I said, those involve structural changes. Those mm-hmm. involve things like putting in a grab bar or, um, uh, putting in a raised toilet or a roll-in shower, lowering mm-hmm. kitchen cabinets, um, putting in ramps in most circumstances is going mm-hmm. may, may be a reasonable uh, modification. Mm-hmm. And when when Congress oh. was when Congress was setting up the Fair Housing Act, what it said was that they you know that 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 if there is a cost to do an accommodation like the change in the policy, like waiving the pet fees or something, well, then that's fair for the landlord to bear. But they also said that if you're, um, you know, if what you want is something that's going to require a structural change to the apartment or to the, the house, which whatever kind of dwelling you're talking about, 
then mm-hmm. they put the, they, they said the landlord's obligation in that situation is to permit the uh, modification, but the, that in almost all cases, and I say almost because if you're talking about subsidized housing, it may be different, but in almost all cases, uh, mm-hmm. the cost of making the, mo- the modification is going to be on the tenant. Now there there are some agencies out in the community that provide that will do modifications for people. Mm-hmm. I know the VA does it in some circumstances. There are independent living um, agencies that have some funding to come in and do modifications. Sometimes simply going to be on the person with a disability themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, you're, you're right, that, that can pose a definite hardship. I know when, I, uh, when I'm talking about it with our clients, uh, I, I always suggest to them that they uh, let the resident know that they should reach out to the community and see if there are agencies that can come in and do the modifications at little to no cost. But ultimately, mm-hmm. th- those are going to uh, devolve in most circumstances back to the tenant. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Judy, because, you know, I'm sure that, you know, as I said, a lot of individuals, you know, that, you know, that are, are disabled, um, you know, they need a lot of information. They don't know where to go to get the, you know, information and things like that. So I, I, I'm applauding myself for having you guys on and you, you know, we're discussing this. So now Reginald, you know, as I was researching, you know, for the show's topic, I came across a number of educational and interesting sites. Now, one that stood out to me was a site called the ARC, A-R-C dot org. The both of you may be familiar with this site. Well, anyway, it says that being part of the community and living as independently as possible are among the most important values and goals shared by people with disabilities, their families and advocates. A home of one's own, either rented or owned, is the cornerstone of independence for people with disabilities. However, across the U.S. regional, people with disabilities, including people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, also known as I slash DDs, face a severe housing crisis. Now, you know, I, you know, I would like for you to you know, to, to comment, comment on that. Now, you know, as I said, this is a, a, a learning thing for me. I knew that there was a shortage, but I did not know that it was severe, a severe shortage. So, you know, with you dealing with co- uh, clients with, um, you know, throughout your um, uh, career, um, did you know that there was a severe housing crisis for these IDDs? Oh, uh, yes, there, there is a shortage of um, housing for for clients like that and um, that's why some organizations will actually purchase uh, buildings and actually uh, provide those buildings for their clients. Uh, there's an agency that I work for in Chicago uh, back in the uh, mid to late 90s uh, because of the shortage of, of appropriate housing for people with cognitive and and physical disabilities, uh, they purchased uh, five uh, apartment buildings, very large apartment buildings, and provided that housing for their clients. The clients could stay there for a certain amount of time, and then 
uh, transition, uh, in a transitional position where they, you know, wanted to move somewhere else or they were able to stay there for as long as they wanted to and, and needed to. And, and mm-hmm. then also you have the, the stigma um, of people with intellectual disabilities, uh, you know, living in certain areas, living in certain neighborhoods that people don't want that. Um, and so, you know, you have that issue as well. Uh, I had to see that as much in Arizona as I did in, in Chicago. Um, wow. And also, even with uh, like halfway houses, uh, individuals who are um, uh, coming from uh, incarceration, coming from prison, and or uh, who are uh, going through detox or in, in a substance abuse program, uh, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Organizations will purchase apartment buildings or housing uh, to accommodate their clients. Uh, one mm-hmm. organization that we work with currently does that. Uh, I have a couple clients that, that live there. So, so yeah, there has and, and continues to be a definite shortage for uh, people who have physical, cognitive, and substance use. Wow. That's really, I don't know, I, I, I didn't know that. I knew that there would be a shortage you know, of houses, but I did not know that it was severe, that it was a severe shortage. You know, it's, it's, it's really sad. Um, Judy, I would like for you to comment on this as well. Um, I agree that there's definitely a shortage of housing and it's probably a very severe shortage. It's one of the reasons why we see so many homeless people in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, Part, I, you know, when, when landlords are looking to rent to someone, they're not, they're not going to be taking into account the fact of whether the person has a cognitive disability or other kinds of disability, um, unless, unless the housing is specifically aimed at people with disabilities or certain kinds of disabilities. But landlords do take into account Things like whether the person has a prior rental history, whether the mm-hmm. person has a, um, uh, whether they have credit, uh, problems. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I suspect that a great many people who are, uh, who have cognitive disabilities and other kinds of disabilities are not going to qualify for most mm-hmm. standard housing simply for reasons like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what is it that, you know, I would like to hear, uh, you know, each of you, since we're talking about this, could you name like one thing that could help, you know, with, with this issue? Because there are a lot of homeless um, on the streets everywhere, everywhere. And I know that a lot of it is due to mental, some type of mental deficiency or, or things like this. Um, but is there anything that, you know, that, that can be done, you know, for these people? Because you just named Judy about, um, credit issues and, and, you know, mental issues. Is there anything that, that you see that, that, you know, one thing that you see that could maybe help these people get off the streets? I, 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 you know, I, I, when you're talking about shouting out to people, I know that we represent several clients who have housing that is specifically aimed at these particular populations. Um, mm-hmm. There is housing being built right now, for example, that are specifically aimed at homeless veterans um, who are 
um, <clears throat> who are frequently on the street because of problems like this. And mm-hmm. when they, those, those properties tend to waive a lot of the standard restrictions that would be imposed on, you know, as far as credit, um, they may waive a lot of the criminal background, things of that nature, um, mm-hmm. and give people an opportunity to come in and live there and develop a good credit history and a good uh, 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 rental history. And I think that helps a lot. The, yeah. uh, the, other, the, the other thing is that the um, uh, HUD, the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development, has recently uh, issued some new guidance on the use of uh, criminal arrest and convictions. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that guidance came out on April 4th. And among other things, it says that when landlords are screening for criminal background, that they can only use um, criminal conviction records that relate to something that is important for the housing that is of major interest. So, for example, you can you can screen for someone you can you may be able to screen out someone who has assaulted someone, but not mm-hmm. someone who has been arrested for urinating in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, so it that 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 kind of helps the matter because it it indicates that landlords will only be screening going forward for things that are of importance, like assault, like arson, like um, bad check writing, um, mm-hmm. things like that that, uh, that that are of major interest to them. The other thing the guidance says is that if they, um, if, if it turns out that the person does have a criminal conviction, even for things like that, the person is uh, must be given an opportunity to show what what the HUD calls mitigating measures, which means that maybe they can come back and appeal the decision not to rent to them um, uh, by showing that they've changed, that they're no longer subject to the same, uh, likely to engage in the same kind of conduct that it mm-hmm. happened a long time ago, or something along those lines. Uh-huh. And, uh, that, that, that That's something being worked on in the apartment communities. I know that I'm involved in some committees that are trying to put together some standards and guidelines. The thing mm-hmm. is that people, uh, people have to act quickly if they're going to appeal. You know, if you, get, they, yeah. apply for a, if you apply for an apartment and you get denied um, and you don't respond immediately or very quickly to appeal that decision, someone else is going to rent that apartment. Yeah. So it, it, it's not the kind of thing that you can sit on and think about and come back, um, you know, three months later and say, oh, will you reconsider based on this? Well, that, that apartment is going to be gone by then. So, yeah. Yeah. So, People so need to know that they need to act fast. If this is something that you want to do, then you need to move on, you know, move on it very quickly. Now, Reginald, I would like for you to. Um, to chime in and give your your one thing, but I need to take a break. And so, you know, that gives you a chance to take a breath. Judy, take a breath and people get up and stretch and come back with me. Hi, 
listeners, this is Teresa E. Keeves, and I want to talk to you about bullying. Do you know that bullying is still a constant negative in our society, not only for children in grammar schools and high schools, but also in our colleges, university, and workplaces? I want you to know that professional mediation is a great method for resolving issues regarding bullying. It also allows party members to engage in a much-needed conversation to clarify what the issues are and to resolve them without the involvement of law enforcement and in relation to our children, the possibility of school suspension. Need more information? Please give me a call at 623-594-5657 or visit my website at www.pekmediations.com. Welcome back to Put It All on the Table Through Mediation. Here again, Teresa E. Keeves. Thank you for returning with me and my guests, Judy Dricky Prohow and Reginald Cedric Campbell, as we are discussing fair housing, disabled individual rights, and the Federal Housing Administration. Now, Reginald, before break, I was, uh, Judy uh, was was giving a good talk and I was asking you to name the one thing that, you know, feel that would be uh, of, of, you know, of help or assistance to these individuals that are, you know, out on the street that, you know, the government and or society doesn't really want to doesn't seem to really want to help. Let me put it that way. Well, as, as Judy said, um, you know, there's um, uh a housing shortage, and for, for our veterans, for our returning veterans. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it, it's a shame that our veterans, that we have homeless veterans. Um, I know it's not popular right now uh, for, uh, you know, the government to get involved, but the government should get involved. It is the government's responsibility uh, mm-hmm. to help our veterans. Um, I know there's a certain party that, that says, well, government is bad and government is the boogeyman. The government is for the people. Government is about the people. Politicians work for us. So when we have veterans returning with cognitive disabilities, post-traumatic stress, physical disabilities, who veterans who have lost an arm, a leg, their sight, you know, things like that, um, if they don't have family members that, that can assist them, it should be, I would like to see the government step in and provide for our veterans, provide for these people, to help them to get back on their feet and to provide housing for them, education for them. So that's the mm-hmm. one thing that I would like to see the government do. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I agree with the both of you, what, what you have said, um, about this. I, I think, um, too, Reginald, too, to the point that you, you made that I think that in more cases than not politicians, once they get elected, then they think that they're working for themselves. They have totally forgotten that they're supposed to be working for the interest of their constituents, you know, not necessarily the interest of themselves, you know, if you get my drift. Okay. Now, you know, Judy, this uh, this article also states that there are issues with disabled individuals regarding affordability, accessibility, and that 860,000 individuals here in the United States are intellectual and developmental dis- disabled, and they are living with aging caregivers. And then, um, and then there's housing discrimination. So. You know, Judy, are some of these issues that I named, can they be dealt with through the Fair Housing Administration? Like if an individual has been, uh, feel that they've been discriminated, 
discriminated against for, you know, wanting to be housed in a, in a particular uh, unit, um, or, um, you know, you know, about their aging caregiver. If, if there's something that is, is this something that, uh, the Fair Housing Administration, can they deal with it and or can they point them to who can assist them in their need? Well, I, I think that requires, a, you know, a fairly complex answer. The um, the problem is clearly severe. Um, mm-hmm. One of the solutions, obviously, which which is probably very politically unpopular, is to increase the number of vouchers that are available through Section 8 uh, that are going to place people in, uh, give them an opportunity to find housing on their own with, you know, with, with uh, the fact that they have very limited income. I know the Veterans Administration has partnered with Section 8 to provide what's called VASH vouchers. Those are specific vouchers that are designed for veterans who are, uh, who, who suffer from physical or mental disabilities, um, including in some cases drug use or alcoholism. And those vouchers are con- combined with some kinds of supportive services, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that the VA makes available to people. That, mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily deal with all of the problems, but I think it was a good first step. Unfortunately, as you know, the number of Section 8 vouchers, including VASH vouchers, is way, way too small as far as um, what the needs are. I, I think a lot of our, um, a lot of the Section 8 programs have actually closed off the list where you can even sign up for a Section 8 voucher because the lists are so long that they've become unmanageable. They, and they yeah. send them once, once every couple of years and let people get on the list, and then people have to wait for, um, they, they have to wait for quite a while in order to be able to qualify. Um, depending upon the severity of the disability, um, my understanding is that in many cases, they, people who have severe disabilities may be able to jump ahead of others when there is supportive housing available. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a good step, but it's clearly not going to be sufficient. Um, I yeah. know that some of our some of our clients have partnered with um, uh, with, with uh, various uh, mental health agencies and with the Veterans Administration and with other uh, agencies that all and that they're trying to provide um, housing and support again often with supportive services to people who ha- who suffer from developmental and other disabilities. Again, the, the number of units that are available is far too small. And a part of that is because the private housing market is generally not um, uh, directed towards those kinds of things. You know, when, when you're talking about the private housing market, the uh-huh. apartment industry, they're in there just like any other commercial business. They're in there mm-hmm. as far as making profits. and. That, that's what they're supposed to be doing. Um, when they get the opportunity to partner with someone who is going to help uh, help someone by placing them in the housing 
and, or, and you know, maybe provided supportive services, a lot of them become very, um, very amenable to working with, with these populations. But it has to mm-hmm. be part of a private-public uh, partnership in most circumstances. Okay. I thank you for that. That's very interesting. And as a matter of fact, that was going to be, um, my next question because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get everything thing, um, in here because it goes by so quickly here. Uh, we have maybe about eight minutes, but Reginald, I wanted you to, uh, talk about, uh, Section 8. And, uh, because Section 8 seems to be one of the most popular choices for those who are disabled, as Judy was just talking about. Now, ARC.org states that one out of three households using Section 8 are headed by a non-elderly person with a disability. Now, what are two main issues you had to deal with? and getting a client into Section 8 program. Now, Judy had already elaborated on that. The list is just is just huge. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to hear your, your comment on that. I, I agree with Judy. The list is, is huge. And um, I haven't dealt with Section 8 um, here in, in Arizona. That, you know, kind of not one of the programs uh, that I work with or with the clients that I work with. Uh, but last year in Chicago, and actually the last 15, 20 years in Chicago, um, uh, working with that program, it, it's huge. The waiting list is like from here to Mars, and it's only open uh, for a certain amount of time. So, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of my clients, it wasn't even an option because, because of the waiting list. So they had to look for other options. So mm-hmm. uh, Section 8 has never been Yeah, because, you know, Section 8 also, um, you know, deals with a lot of people, not only those that are disabled, but, you know, just, you know, people who can't afford to pay their housing on their own. You know what I mean? It's just it, it, it just becomes something that that has been, you know, just just trying for them. They 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 just can't seem to do it. Now, my thing is that we here in this country, we have so much going on we got so much building and things going on and i i'm just wondering you know with all of the uh, apartment buildings in particular the apartments that they're building is phenomenal here in, in the state of arizona i can say and i'm just wondering why you know what would be the task for them to build you know housing um for you know individuals that we are speaking of right now you know, I, I I know that it will probably be a, you know, have to go through some governmental agency, you know, maybe like FHA or or anything like that. You know, Judy, has anything ever come um, across your desk that you know of 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 um, um, some government um, agency here in Phoenix wanting to, spe- you know, specifically have housing? For these individuals, they're building so many apartments um, here in the Phoenix uh, land area. Uh, you know, have you are you privy to any of that? The most of the apartments that are going up in the Phoenix area, in particular, are being done by private developers. Uh, mm-hmm. Congress has, in the past, appropriated money 
uh, and it's a fairly limited amount of money for what they call both um, uh, uh, public housing, which is housing that is normally going to be run by a governmental entity. Usually it would be the city of Phoenix or the city of Mesa or something like that. And there's some very limited housing out there available under those bases. Um, since 1937, the Congress has also appropriated different kinds of money for what they call, um, for what was called subsidized housing, where yeah. the, you know, the government, the private people would build some housing and the federal government would provide subsidies for people who lived there. In about 1978, that got phased out by Congress, and what went into effect was what we're now calling tax credit housing. Um, mm-hmm. Under tax credit housing, what happens is that uh, the Internal Revenue Service allocates so many tax credits per state, and local developers, private developers, will bid on them and they will get a significant tax break for a period of years. Usually it's spread over 20 or 30 years if they provide uh, affordable housing um, to people who, who, whose income simply don't justify paying the market rate. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, that's a political process that happens, I think it happens about once a year, sometimes once every two years, depending on the state. And the different developers will be in touch with the Arizona Department of Housing and they will bid on the available credits that are available. And then once they, uh, once they get those and they construct the housing or they renovate the housing for them, then they, they rent at a rate that is significantly lower. And it, it depends on what particular bid they have, um, as to whether it's going to be aimed at people who's whose income is like 20% of the average income in Maricopa County, or it might be at 80% of the average income, it's going to vary with the property. But that seems to be the most popular um, kind of uh, program that the government is involved in. I know the city of Phoenix also has some, um, uh, some affo- affordable housing programs. I, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are probably a couple dozen, maybe a little bit more than that, scattered around the Phoenix area. But once mm-hmm. again, those, all, all of those, all, all of these programs, um, uh, they, they, the housing fills up very, very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we rep- I know we represent a number of them. They almost never have, uh, uh, have vacant apartments, and a lot of them have waiting lists. To get in, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and that's why people need to. This is why people need to jump on it and and do what it is that they need to do. And individuals who have people who are disabled need to also jump in and help them so that they can have the home and the house uh, where they where they can you know live and function completely uh, in the manner of how they want to live and function. Well, guess what, the both of you. My time is, is coming down here. I want to say thank you to, uh, Judy Dricky Prohow. Um, she is a JD with the law office of Scott M. Clark. If you have, um, any questions for Judy, you can email her at Judy at Scott Clark 
Law.com. If you have any issues dealing with mental health therapy, you can contact my guest, uh, Rachel Cedric Campbell at 480-309-7374. Thank you both again for, for being on my show and taking your time, um, from this beautiful day and uh, making it great for me and my listeners. I just, I will be returning on the 9th of June. Be safe. Be reasonable in your thinking. Be kind to yourself and others. This is Teresa E. Keeves. Take care. Mm-hmm.